Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like the bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command, commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I haven't said this in a lot of years, but if you find yourself wishing you could pray more and you're not sure what you could pray or what to say, you can always get out your Bible and just read a psalm out loud and call it a prayer, since that's what they are. And you would find that if you would own each word that you read from the psalms, you'd be uttering a pretty meaningful prayer. So I commend that to you as a possible benefit to your spiritual well-being. So today's reading is credited to King David, but given what we've been learning from the book of Job lately, it's easy to imagine that it was written by Job. I mean, look at the various crises that he experienced in his response, and you probably notice that when a person is in a crisis situation, everything seems to slow down, doesn't it? Time seems to stand still even in the midst of a crisis. And there's where that primal instinct kicks in and we begin to see with heightened awareness and sense with a greater uh, acuity. We can recognize even the smallest details at times like that. And so it's no wonder that in a time of, of great difficulty, the presence of God can really be experienced because our native instinct slows us down and makes us pay attention. When I think of the hundreds of graveside services that I have presided over, and how the rain fell on the tent, and the wind blew the snow across the cemetery, how the birds kept singing, how the sun ran its course, how the dog in the nearby farm kept barking and how the cows kept mooing. When I think of all the graveside services where a butterfly landed on the flowers laying atop the casket, 
It makes me realize that as the psalmist says, the universe continues its divine rhythms throughout all things. And it continues to witness to the glory of God. Therefore, we can even agree with the psalmist in saying that the very movement of the sun is a consummation of God's creative energy and mind combining into action so that literally the heavens are telling the glory of God. You will say to yourself on a bad day, well, the sun will come up tomorrow. And by the grace of God, the sun comes up tomorrow. You will say that life seems impossibly difficult right now, and yet the seasons will continue to change. And this is a remarkable testimony to the glory of God, for our Creator is merciful and majestic all at the same time, so that no matter what happens in our lives, we understand and recognize the witness of God's glory and understand that we are subject to the same rhythms and patterns of creation that God has woven into every living thing. And it gives us both certainty and hope about things. All things have beginnings and middles and ends, and therefore we can even read our Bible with confidence and know that the age that we're living in, in human history, in church history, is a history with a beginning, a middle, and an end. All things follow the same rhythmic patterns of our glorious Creator. And it makes you realize that if the heavens are telling the glory of God, then there's probably more testimony to the existence of God out there than we've ever really given God credit for. For example, why are flowers so beautiful anyway? Why are they filled with so many amazing colors? Did you know that bees are basically colorblind? And there's probably nobody that appreciates flowers more than a bee, and they can't even appreciate how beautiful the flowers are. Why did God make flowers so beautiful? Did you know that in nature there is this example, I don't even know how to explain this because math is not my thing, but I can tell you that there's thing, there's thing called the Fibonacci principle. It's a numeric sequence that results in something called the golden rectangle, and it's a perfect mathematical sequence that is reproduced over and over again in nature. You can see it without even knowing that that's what's going on. And you recognize that there's a continuity in the pattern of the veins that run through the leaves of the tree. While you're raking mounds and mounds and mounds of leaves in the next month or two, look at them for a moment and consider the glory of God because this mathematical principle is right there in the veins of that leaf. It is in the stem of the flower. It is in every created thing. The majestic genius of God is, is exemplified in every major and minor expression of God's creative energy. Did you know that deep in the darkest, deepest, coldest places in the ocean, you will find brightly colored coral and fish with amazing qualities. And you might say to yourself, why? 
There's no one down there to see it. It's dark. There's no light. And yet these things are covered with colorful uh, scales and various patterns. Some even glow in the dark. And why? Is it perhaps because the Creator finds joy in it? Is it possible that the heavens are telling the glory of God even in places where there are no other witnesses than God? When I was in high school, I had a friend who fancied himself a human version of Mr. Spock, the ever-logical Vulcan from Star Trek. And he said to me once, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, it still makes a sound. And the reason is quite simple, because God hears it fall. And therefore, it will make a sound. Does your brain hurt yet? It's taken me 40 years to figure out what Bruce was talking about. Oh, maybe not that long. But the heavens are truly telling the glory of God. Peter reminds us that it takes knowledge and wisdom of the highest order to produce such related phenomenon. And, and, uh, and I say that Peter reminds us of that because he says that people who ignore the, the presence of God in all of creation are willingly ignorant. I don't preach politics and I don't plan on starting today, but I would suggest to you that there are those who will vehemently argue that God is not the author of all creation, that it happened randomly by accident. They will argue that there is some other reason why the glory of something is happening out here. And what I would say to you is, is they've chosen their religion and you have chosen yours. And I have chosen mine. But they are willingly ignorant because the heavens are really telling the glory of God. You cannot deny it. You simply cannot. You look to all of creation and realize that wherever you look, the handiwork of God is on the most minor, perfect little thing in God's creation. And what does God love more than all of that? It's you. In fact, because of that love for you, this divine, majestic genius has given us his own self in the form of his son, woven himself, the God who cannot be contained and fully comprehended, wove himself into the womb of a woman and became a man, yet fully God. And this amazing testimony to God's majestic genius is never to be fully understood. It is a mystery. And yet it is through this Son, Jesus, that we have been saved. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For Him all things were created. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the end, the firstborn among the dead, so that all things may have preeminence through him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile himself with all things. The Apostle Paul is telling you that all of creation, all the rhythms 
and patterns and perfect symmetry of God's creation has been reconciled with the one eccentric, out-of-whack thing that God created. Me. And you. There's one thing God made perfect, but then allowed to be imperfect by its own will, and that's us. Yet all other things demonstrate God's incredible perfection. And wherever sin has corrupted things, there is this, this eccentricity, you could say. And therefore, we needed redemption. We needed to see creation and the chief among the created things, human beings, restored to a right balance with God, the Creator. And it is through Jesus that God has done this. By His reconciling life, death, and resurrection, He was able to take upon us a burden we could not bear for ourselves. And this is why we call Him our Lord, the King of glory, the King of God's glory. The Apostle Paul said in the Acts of the Apostles, he, he used a popular song of the day or saying of the day and repurposed it for Christians to say that it is in him that we live and move and have our being. Meaning that the very essence of who we are and who we think we are, that person inside you that talks to the person outside of you and back and forth, that conscious and subconscious being that you are. This is the very essence of your being, the nature of who you are, the very person that is more than the flesh wrapped around that being, the one with whom God has this intimate, perfect relationship that was made possible through Jesus Christ. This is the one that God is talking to now. For having been saved by God's grace and restored by God's mercy through Jesus Christ, we are no longer who we once were. We are, in fact, Christ's brothers and sisters. We are, in fact, brothers and sisters with each other, made so by God's grace. And we are, once again, at least spiritually, in harmony with all of God's perfect creation. That's why John Wesley could say, I am no longer mine, but thine. Therefore God put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt, put me to doing, put me to suffering, let me be employed by thee or laid aside by thee. In other words, he understood that having been completely transformed from the inside out, his life was no longer his own, his very being was no longer his own. He was now one with the Father and at least internally complete. And so it is by the word of God that all things have been brought into existence in perfect harmony with God. And yet it is the word of the willful sinner that has separated us from the harmony with God that we seek. Therefore, we have to find peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's why... Jesus came, gave us this sacred meal that we celebrate, and the meal in itself is a remembrance of the one and only act of mercy that he had to do for our sake. And it is 
what we refer to as the Last Supper. Psalm 24 proclaims, Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may enter. Who is the King of glory? This King of glory, the Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. And so it is Jesus who has the the glory of God in him as he has been victorious over sin and death. It is Jesus who has bought for us the salvation that makes us one with him and one with each other all around the world. And therefore, on this World Communion Sunday, we really see ourselves as being one with all of those who may be vastly different from us in many ways, culturally, physiologically, and so forth, and yet like us in that we are the body of Christ.